Hi, I'm Kat. And I'm Emma. If you love the Dead Prank podcast, you can help support its future using the ACAST supporter feature. Now, it's up to you how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So if you can and you want to, please do hit the link in the show description to support now. Thank you. Thank you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Listening to the Deb Prankle Podcast, a podcast designed to open up the conversation surrounding grief and to ensure young grievers feel less alone. I'm Catherine Hooker and I speak with young adults from all over the world whose lives have been impacted from losing a parent at a young age. The good, the bad, and the banter. now as I'm an adult and I recognize all the ways that the baby inside of me missed out it's really important to me to protect her and I'm really convicted to speak up for her and other children like us didn't have an opportunity to really feel what they were feeling Hi everybody and welcome to this week's episode of the Dead Parent Club Podcast. Today I am joined with Lindsay Taylor, also the owner of the Joyful Jewelry Box. Lindsay offers grief support, she creates meaningful jewelry and keepsakes to help us keep our loved ones' memories alive. She's a motherless writer and a speaker. I don't know, a lot of you might already follow her on Instagram so I'm hoping you'll all really enjoy this episode. We speak about her story and how it kind of led her to the path that she's on now with her own business hope you all enjoy it as much as I did. Um, so firstly, Lindsay, thank you so, so much for coming onto the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Catherine. I really appreciate it as well. Just to start with, it'd be great if you could just kind of introduce yourself to anybody that's listening, sort of your name and where you're from, um, get just a little bit about you so they can get to know you a bit. Sure. So my name is Lindsay Joy Taylor, and I am a grief advocate and also the owner of the Joyful Jewelry Box. Um, And that's where I make and provide uh, remembrance jewelry and keepsakes to help other bereaved people honor and remember their loved ones. I live in California in a tiny little beach town, a few hours south of San Francisco and a few hours south of LA. Mm, (laughs) Yeah, it's the easiest reference point. It's a tiny little (laughs) town called San Luis Obispo. And I went to college here and was really just 
smart enough, if you will, never to leave after I was done. So, <laughs> um, nice. yeah. And then I met my husband right after I, um, or right before I should say, I finished my undergraduate and he and I got married about six years later and oh. we live, um, in our first home that we bought a few years ago with our, our dog who is also our kid and his name is Trooper. Oh, I love that. Oh, I love his name. Yes. That's so cute. Yeah, thank you. He's, um, and he's earned every bit of it really. So, um, right when we were moving into our new house, he actually had a bone spur rupture in his back and, Ooh. um, became suddenly paralyzed and had to have surgery. And we literally nursed him back to health and helped him learn how to walk again oh. and whatnot. So he's, um, not only, you know, just a special part of our family, but he's really actually taught us a lot. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> really kept things in perspective for us. So, um, mm. yeah, we love him it with is, everything. Yeah, it is crazy the amount of love you can have for your pet, right? Like, it is insane. <laughs> Me and my dad recently, well, I say recently, kind of last June, we got a dog. We've had a dog for about 14 years um, that died probably about six years ago now. And... Yeah, I think it was, you know, about nearly four years after my mum had passed and we decided to get a dog and she has literally, like, made the house a home again. Mm. Like, after my mum died, it felt so empty and just didn't feel right. And now with the dog here, every time I come in, she's so excited to see me and it's the mental health aspect of it and going outside and taking her for walks and stuff. There is literally nothing better. Really. It's so true and it's a connection that you can't really capture any other way. Um, mm. So I'm glad that you... I'm sorry that... Sorry to hear about your other dog. It's so hard, <laughs> especially after you've lost a human. I mean, good gracious. Um, it's the sacrifices we yeah, make. Yeah. I love something so much. Insult to injury, but I'm glad that you guys have another one that's, that's bringing some joy back. Yeah, she's the best. Um, So I suppose it would be a great start to kind of go into your story then. I obviously know from your profile, you're a motherless writer, right? So Correct. So you have a connection to the DPC. I do. Um, how well yeah how what is your story yeah so actually you know what the dead parents club was one of the first podcasts or even um public accounts outside of like a single advocate that i found talking about this and sharing stories so i really appreciate um connecting with you and you giving me an opportunity thank you to to just raise awareness and, and and spread that so um it feels a little bit full circle. I'm kind of tripping up on my words here. So anyway, <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, you know, it was just, you know, there was the do- the book a couple decades ago that came out, Motherless Daughters, and that was one that I really sort of latched onto. And yet, in a lot of ways, it didn't feel like I fit in because my personal experience is that my mother died when I was only 13 months old. So yeah. I don't have any explicit memories of her. Um, and I've grown up really not knowing anything different. And so while that book and that community is tremendous and such a great outlet for a long time, I didn't feel like I fit because there, so many of the stories were built upon these relationships and these memories, for example. And Mm -hmm. so finding your community of a, of a younger tribe, if you will, Mm -hmm. of grievers was really comforting. So, um, that is how I connect to you. And oh, really, yeah, and really just fit in and started to realize that um, that there were other people who had 
these limited experiences, if you will. And when I say limited, I mean like less time with their their family and really yeah. having more milestones ahead yeah. um, that their parents won't be around for. So, yeah. and that was something that, that again, that while I never knew anything different was a big part of my journey and my story. So mm. one of the kind of first people I spoke to who had lost a parent so young was um, a girl called Charlotte Dorr who we must have recorded with probably nearly a year or so, well, nearly a year ago now, mm-hmm. or the very, very kind of middle of last year. And I'd never spoken with somebody before that had lost a parent and particularly a mum before they'd even had the chance to know them. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it was so powerful and upsetting to hear that story, but to hear how positive she wasn't, she said after we'd had that conversation, she said that is the longest amount of time that she has ever spent in her life talking about her mum. Mm. Just that hour. And I was like, oh my God, like it was just the conversations that she never had because by the time she was old enough to understand what had happened, everybody else had kind of gotten over it per se, mm. you know, of lack of yes. a better phrase. Um, and I just, oh, I felt really blessed that she'd chosen us to tell her story to and to spend so long talking about her mum to us. But yeah, I think, you know, for me especially, that is completely unmanageable. So I'm looking forward to kind of hearing how that's shaped your life, I suppose. Well, I appreciate you. That's really an insightful point um, in the sense that I, I would ne- I would never describe anybody in my life as having just gotten over it um, in the way that it was just so tragic. Unfortunately, she was murdered. Our house was being burglarized and um, mm. and she interrupted and mm. the rest is history. And so, um, there's a lot of shock and trauma that surrounds that. And so yeah. certainly my family has been really wonderful in the sense of she should be here. And we never really swept it under the rug so much, but I would say that we talked more about the circumstances, um, and less about what it was like living without her or how we can keep her memory alive. But you make a really yeah. astute point in the sense that by the time I did recognize what this was like inside of me, <laughs> first of all, um, this, you know, this incessant longing for, I didn't really know what, um, I mean, yeah. of course you could assume, but I, again, without knowing anything different, it was really hard to put those, that into words. And so I definitely feel like, um, my grief has been delayed in a lot of ways, not, not, um, uh, not technically speaking, although I don't, there's all sorts of theories and beliefs yeah. about grief that I have mixed feelings about in the first yeah. place. But I don't mean that specifically as opposed to, or in regards to like the textbook version. I mean yeah. that in the sense that it was 15 years before I really recognized yeah, um, what was happening. And when I really was able to absorb the full scope of what happened and all that it entailed and whatnot. Mm. Right. And so, um, and my people in my life and my family have been really supportive of my journey, but it is really interesting to feel like, um, I feel a little bit like an outsider because of everything I just said. And because I can't participate in any of the stories or the conversations about her. And, you know, my brother and my sister can't all that much either. Um, and yet they still can more. Right. Um, Whereas Mm. I cannot at all. And so that's been a really interesting piece of my process, not only just um, doing this 
20 plus, 20, 30 plus years after she died, but also being at really different stages from my family, which is natural. Um, yeah, it, that is natural, but I think it was really exacerbated in my situation. I think the amazing thing with your story is that you're, you can tell such a unique story. Like this could really help somebody out there that is struggling like you did to find anything to connect to whatsoever. So it, I kind of like try and see a positive side of it where you go through something so traumatic and awful and the one thing that life gives you in return is then the ability to help other people, isn't it? Absolutely. But that's a choice you really have to make. You know, I mean, mm. it's a very conscious, um, and I'm sure you can probably relate to this a little bit, but the, it's a very, I don't know, poignant moment or maybe series of moments where you kind of have to choose where the grief is going to take you. And I don't mean like that you can avoid the pain or whatnot, but are we going to um, turn it into something else so that it doesn't consume us? I don't mean yeah. make good from it. Um, that is my particular choice. Yeah. Um, but I certainly recognize that that's not the case or necessity for everybody. But I do think that we're all confronted with a choice at some point of what we're going to, how we're going to let grief play a role in our life. So um, when was that for you? That's a great question. You know, <laughs> um, I would say the first step was in my early 20s. You know, it's interesting. This crossed my mind the other day out of nowhere. And I realized it was a big piece of leading me on this work or on this path, if you will, I was in my undergraduate and I was taking whatever class I had to give a, a speech on a book concept. I don't really remember the actual assignment, but my mm. particular book was the power of positive thinking. Okay. And for me, I really always grew up feeling pretty bitter or jaded or I mean understandably so that is so understandable yeah yeah, but you know in fact like for example my middle name is joy and that was something I really didn't draw a connection to until probably the last decade or so Mm. um it was really something that I didn't feel very naturally felt very forced and I remember being on a train and reading this book and just getting the wheels turning, right, in, in terms of seeing myself and how I was responding to the own circumstances of my life. Um, I wouldn't say that I'd started to process my grief in any way. I didn't go to therapy or anything until I was in my early 20s, but um, in fact, probably shortly after that. But um, it was the first sort of mirror in terms of, well, this is an interesting concept. Well, it's not that easy, right? And yet this isn't some <laughs> modern book. This is um, decades old. I, gosh, I wish I could remember the, um, the author. Nonetheless, that was the first moment of like, mm, maybe there's a different way out there. Right. And so then fast forward just a little bit and my grief really became consuming. I couldn't emotionally regulate and I felt like it was sort of seeping out of me. Yeah. Um, were you kind of, were you like acting in different ways? Like kind of short-tempered or just feeling yeah that's the best really way to put low. It. I was really short-tempered and I didn't like to be touched for example mm. um and that sounds like who's walking around touching each other all the time but you know I was in my early 20s when girlfriends and I would be out at the bars or out just um spending time together right and one of my best friends tapped me on the back 
and my fight or flight just like completely took over and I turned around and I almost slapped her. Right. And so there were these moments mm, of, yeah. okay, this is not matching. Why am I reacting so strongly to, to triggers that I can't even necessarily identify? Um, yeah. Right. And so really beginning to sift through that and going to therapy and really starting to recognize how much I was carrying and how heavy I felt was the first time I was able to sort of separate um, my identity or myself from my grief or my loss, right? Mm, because yeah. because I didn't know anything else, it felt like that's just kind of who I am. So I would say really um, reading that book and then years of therapy started to really kind of point me back to there's a different way to do this. You've seen people be angry and jaded and explosive when they're unhappy and, and that doesn't really work. So what else is there out? What else yeah. is out there? Right. Yeah. Um, and then I would say the final piece of that, which again, it's just been a long road of, of building blocks, but a big piece was this business. Right. Um, when I started this business, I wanted it to be an homage to my mom in some way, but I didn't necessarily know that it was going to be grief and remembered story to start mm. with. Right. It was more of a necessity, a stressful season of life, um, trying to figure out how I could support my family and be home at the same time. Yeah. Um, and so because she's part of everything of my life, I wanted it to be an homage to her. Um, and through kind of that process of building this business and sifting through all of that and making those connections, the actual story to my name is that when I was born, my family was in the middle of a really dark season and just had been struggling for a long time. And so it was important to her that my middle name be joy to represent sort of the happiness that they were able to feel in spite of it being such a, you know, a trying time for oh, them. Which is beautiful. Thank you very much. And so once I really started to put all these pieces together and look at that, I realized that was the message right there, right? Before she even left, she gave me this, this key of this is your choice. Things are going to be hard, <laughs> yeah. but there's still going to be joy if you let yeah. there be room for it. Right. So I think it's been, it's a long winded answer, but I think it's been several pieces that sort of kind of all mm. culminated together. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, it, I can only kind of, imagine what it must have been like as a child and growing up with people around you where you know the norm is to have two parents and doing all this family things and I bet it was kind of it must have been when you were you know like that kind of 15 15 years of age when that's when you kind of start building a relationship with your mum, isn't it when people around you start doing things with their mothers and I can see why that will have been a kind of poignant part of your journey where you kind of looked around and thought oh my god I'm really missing something here Definitely. You know, and I was blessed, very, very blessed to have um, some great friendships, some great long-term friendships with beautiful families, um, beautiful intact families that were really loving and supportive of me. Yeah. Um, but that was also hard too, right, to have that um, mirror of what I was missing everywhere I turned for comfort mm. Yeah, I've got like, you know, a lot of friends that are really close with their parents and I love hanging out with them, like with my friend and her mum and it makes me really happy. But at the same time, 
it makes you bitter. That's just the way that it is. And yeah. you can't have a look at that and think, oh, you know, I really wish I had that. Absolutely. So d- did you ever kind of speak about your experience with any of your friends as you were getting older? Did anybody ever ask you about it? Or was it all kind of very hush hush and really. not spoken about? Um, mostly it was not spoken about. I think twofold again I think I didn't talk about it very much um again because I didn't know much differently right and then how do you sort of broach that with people who don't yeah who don't yeah. have a similar situation and then also I think that um not that kids and teens can't support each other that's not what I'm implying at all but I think because of my loss being so young and and my need to rely on other people, developmentally speaking, so much, I really learned to be intuitive about what people could provide and when. And so I think that I just knew that that wasn't a level of support that I was going to get at that point in my life. Um, I also grew up in a tiny little town. Um, So actually, when I was born, we lived in San Jose. We lived there even after my mom was killed until I was six. And then after that, we moved into a tiny little mountain town called Tuolumne, which is where my father grew up. Okay, um, wow. About three hours away. And it was a blessing in a lot of ways. It was a really great place to grow up, super safe, but also just a very small contrast in terms of life experiences, right? So. Mm. Um, certainly not any homicide happening around there. Um, if there were other single parent households, it was usually because of divorce or, um, something like that, which is awful and, and still really heavy and and traumatic for a child to go through. I'm not trying to minimize that. I'm just trying to make the distinction that my situation was really specific. And I think that I just recognized that wasn't a place to go. Yeah. Um, in my teens, though, I slowly started to talk a little bit more. It was a little bit more about um, circumstances of just being a teenager and things I didn't like and um, opinions I had about what was being done, stuff like that. But still, mm-hmm. I would never say that we sat down and I cried about feeling sad that he didn't have a mom. Mm. Um, I would say that that's been, especially too, because I have a lot of long-term friendships, which are, um, a blessing, but I would say that that's been sort of a recalibration, right? Like once I, in the last 10 or 15 years really went head on into not only my grief, but providing grief support and working to mental health and whatnot, I think there's been a recalibration of, um, them recognizing how much this did impact me and learning how to support me now. Um, and I think we're still, trying to all figure that out right whereas now we're in the season of life where um things are naturally happening to other people (laughs) right and so i am um learning how to support them in return too right there's Mm. always been this interesting sort of um like if i'm being really honest feeling of not that my pain is more important but you just (laughs) you can you cannot grasp it yeah yeah Right. No, I, t- I totally so, get that. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm now re- trying to, my stuff is still really important and relevant. And that doesn't mean I have my time and now it's theirs. It's more, again, of really just trying to recognize um, 
all the feelings that I brought to it before and being able to show up for my friends without assuming mm. that my stuff is worse or heavier. Yeah. Um, and I would never have consciously thought that. I don't believe in the hierarchy of grief. Loss is loss and pain <laughs> is pain, you know? Um, yeah. 100%. But I think we can all attest to grief just bringing up some ugly thoughts and feelings um, that we just have to let move through us whether or not they're um they're true or not you know burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping and that extends to their outdoor collection their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements featuring rust proof stainless steel hardware weather ready teak and quick dry foam cushions for Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm guessing then, like, because you didn't speak about it that much growing up, is that kind of why you turned to counseling them? Like, was it your own decision to do that or did somebody perhaps introduce it to you? You know, so that's an interesting question. There's sort of twofold. I, that was kind of the joke growing up. I was the resident counselor. You know, <laughs> I was the one that you called and talked to on the phone for three hours if you yeah. and your boyfriend broke up or you and your best friend were fighting or insert whatever. There was this natural sort of um, draw towards helping people figure their stuff out. And now, again, as an adult, I recognize it was um, not only, you know, a gift because I, gift for lack of a better term, but because I had, you know, this adult perspective of things, um, but it was also a way to avoid my own stuff too. Um, so, but I've always really been drawn to that, but it wasn't, um, my actual motivation for starting therapy was again, more out of necessity. And I went to the counseling center on my college campus because that's what my sister had done okay. um right and that actually was a really negative experience unfortunately um it, it really can be though can't it like it can and it's hot look I really think it is it is a lot of work um and I feel really grateful now you know I think it's important like the short version is I had a terrible first experience and yet now I've really come full circle and it is one of my um, biggest coping skills, if you will. Mm. Um, but that really lit a fire in me in terms of really. So what happened, the short version is she didn't finish the session with me. She said, what you're dealing with is very extreme. Here's a referral list. Good luck. <laughs> right. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that's oh an exacerbated God. short version, but again, it was yeah. like, well, if I had all these other resources, maybe I would have started there. And maybe we can even just finish this session so that I can just feel like it's normal for me to yeah. feel this way, 
right? Yeah. But instead, I really just kind of walked out feeling pretty broken. And so it was that was really what planted a seed in me in terms of like, we have got this all wrong, <laughs> mm. right? Like no one had ever said to my face, like, well, you don't remember her. Well, at least this, or well, at least, th-. you know, people were generally pretty gracious. And yet I was still very yeah. aware of what society believes, yeah. what society thought I should, um, how I should think about my mother's death. Um, and that really solidified it in the sense of like, you made me feel like I was broken when actually it's very normal that I feel this way. Um, it was, I don't know, just fortitude. I knew that, that I needed to attending to my grief. Right. It probably was three more years, but I really, um, like, like sitting with it, like sitting with your grief and kind of getting to know it. I just knew that if I didn't create this outlet, I wasn't going to do the work. Yeah. So, or I wasn't going to be able to turn it into something meaningful, right? Or yeah. I wasn't going to be able to turn the corner of it, if you will. Mm. Um, and so it was really just sort of this innate knowledge that like, well, you have to try again. <laughs> you just have to try again. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you. so anyway, I just think it's important to point out that, you know, finding the right therapist, it's work. Um, and knowing mm. that before you go into it is um, helpful to sort of keep the persistence until you find the right person. Um, And, but something else I want to sort of clarify about therapy in general is, you know, there are lots of ways to process your grief. There's so many resources out there and I realize that therapy isn't um, necessary or the right outlet for everybody. What is really helpful for me about it specifically that I can't get in other instances is that relational piece, right? Because, um, because I lost my primary attachment figure during such a crucial developmental time. Relationships are hard for me. Um, I can be really hot and cold and they just create a lot Mm. of anxiety for me. And the only way to work through that is in relationship. Right. And so that relationship of therapy with my therapist, um, is central to my particular situation and my healing. Um, and I think that it's important to clarify that that's the one this the one thing you can't quite get from all the handouts and tools and grief support books and whatnot. They're valuable. They're helpful. Um, I'm not trying to belittle them in any way. I'm just making the distinction that um, therapy offers a really um, unique way to help you heal. Yeah. Those yeah. relational trauma, those relational issues, if you will. Yeah, yeah, and I think, you know, it obviously depends on everybody's situations and their loss and their experience, but I think for a lot of people, having that space to literally just be you and talk through the things that make you act the way you do or think the way you feel and all of that, I think it can be super, super rewarding for a lot of people. So, yeah, I'm glad you said that. It's, it is very true. Um, I'm guessing kind of building this, business then you know the joyful jewelry box when did that start did that kind of start as an outlet for your grief as a kind of like something like tangible that you can create with it so again you know that's been just something that has revealed itself to me over time um I Mm. just kind of going back to what I said earlier I'd always been interested in mental health and sort of counseling in one way or another 
And so I studied communications and psychology during my undergrad, and I always knew I wanted to go back and get my master's for um, something, but I wasn't quite sure what. And so yeah. when I was, um, again, because I think you could probably relate to this, right? When you graduate, you're just not really sure what the next step is. And so I had a really good job that supported me through college and um, ended up working um, administ- doing administrative work for several years after that. And um, I just felt like I, something was missing. And so the short version is one day I was walking on my lunch break and I was frustrated about whatever at work. And there was this moment of, you need to go back to school. You need to go back to school. It's time to go back to school. Um, and around that time, a family member had actually been diagnosed with, um, bipolar disorder. And so it was really just fresh in my heart to really find a meaningful outfit, a meaningful outlet in my professional life as well. So, um, all that to say, I got my master's degree in counseling psychology and I thought I was going to be a marriage and family therapist. And in the middle of the program, I really realized that I sort of reaching back to what I said a few minutes ago about the therapeutic relationship. I'm much more of an activist than I am a therapist. Um, I'm much more inclined to help empower all of us to change the way that we think about grief as opposed to helping one person, um, not one person, but you know, one caseload, um, work through their problems. And so, yeah, through that, I ended up at a local mental health association and I absolutely loved it. And I got a lot of client experience running support groups, doing peer services and advocacy and whatnot. And unfortunately, the funding for my position um, was terminated oh. right at the time that we had bought the house and the dog with the back oh, and all God. the things that I mentioned earlier. So that was really that necessity piece, right? So I had adventured back in mental health and really knew that that was where I was meant to be. Um, and then it sort of all was like, oops, just kidding. So the jewelry piece was really just um, a stepping stone, I thought, at the time in terms of helping to support my family and and get through this tough season, right? And then through that process of just learning to build a business and wanting to honor my mom and whatnot, I remembered and realized that jewelry was a huge piece of my coping as a child, that I would spend hours playing in my mom's jewelry box and just... Oh, wow. Um, picking out my favorite trinkets and jewels and hiding them here and there and wherever. And so it really became this full circle situation of using all of these, um, you know, using my passion um, for helping others in whatever way, shape, or form, using my education and mental health and counseling, and then really using my own personal experience of what had helped me as a child and beyond. Um, and I kind of just fit all those pieces together. And it was like, the skies kind of opened up. And, you know, it sounds cheesy, oh, but it amazing. was like, this is how it's supposed to be. Um, yeah. My experience, I can continue to tend to my own loss and my own grief while I'm helping others um, make space for theirs and helping to keep all of our loved ones alive. So it was really just yeah. this um, long but synchronistic journey that, doesn't really feel very random now that I'm here <laughs> absolutely yeah. not absolutely not it's funny how you've, you've kind of related it back to what you used to do when you were younger and you know playing with your mum's jewelry and stuff I had a guy that I was speaking to the other day 
and he was telling me, you know, he works as a like lighting technician for theatre, and um, it was he, from when he was younger, he always thought that his dad did a lot of um work in what's it called like debating, uh-huh. and he was going to sign up to like a debating class, oh, but wow. didn't do that. He signed up to a lighting class instead when he was at school, and it was many many years later when he was going through his belongings that he found loads of receipts and lighting equipment that was actually his dad's. So unknowingly, he had like gone into the same sort of area and profession that his dad had also gone into himself at some point in his life. And I just think these things that we do when we're younger, they're all also connected, aren't they? Absolutely. That gives me goosebumps. How cool. Yeah, me too. I I said that when he said to me, I was like, wow, I've actually got goosebumps yeah, thinking really. about that because, you know, it ha- happened to him so un- unknowingly. So it's amazing. Um, I don't know. I th- feel like you're in a very kind of lucky and unique position where you're able to transfer your experience and your talent into something that you can really get behind. A lot of people don't have that. So... I know it's kind of what I, I suppose it's what I'm doing with this podcast you know I'm turning my experience into something that I can provide for other people as, as a support and although I've got my day job it doesn't provide me with the same sense of purpose Absolutely. and value that this does and that you're keeping your mother's memory alive as well right is that yeah not only are you helping people and of course that's a selfish motive and yet who cares that <laughs> Right for all of us. Of course, that is that is why we feel the way we do because we want our person to still be here and to be remembered. And um, yeah, and so not only are you helping others do that, but you're doing that for your mom as well. Yeah, yeah, and I, I literally wouldn't talk about her half as much, as not even like a quarter as much, if it weren't for this podcast. Because you know, people don't ask, do they? It's not it's not part of everyday conversation. Whereas doing this. It literally is the whole conversation, so it's amazing. That's a really great point. Yeah, yeah, it's fab. So do you find a lot of support in what you do for the people? Do you exchange stories and stuff? Yes, the community that I have built on Instagram has been such an unexpected support for me. I didn't anticipate Mm. how much less I would feel alone. Um is really the easiest way to put it. I think when I started to write again, because when I had opened my shop, while the name revolved around, you know, not only myself and my mom, but, or my, my name and my mom, but, um, the designs were really bohemian chic. It wasn't this remembrance and memorial, um, outlet, but as time has gone on and I've moved in that direction, I still think that in the beginning, my assumption was that, I was still alone, that people still, that there weren't very many people like me that didn't remember Mm. or that had experienced loss so young or that, um, they didn't, that they were grieving somebody they didn't remember and what a unique and confusing experience that was. And so not only has it given me an outlet to be able to talk about it and support others, but it really has shown me how many other people actually do have similar experiences. I think this is something I mentioned earlier that growing up in such a tiny area, certainly there were families going through difficult seasons and situations and whatnot, but um, never really anything that could quite um, relate to our circumstances. And so being able to talk to other individuals who don't remember their loved ones either, or maybe they were so young that 
then their parents got remarried and said that you weren't allowed to talk about your mother or your father anymore. I mean, just the things oh. here are heartbreaking. And while yeah. my journey was really hard, um, and in no way am I trying to minimize it and say, well, everybody else had it harder. It just being able to share in the way that we do made me feel um, a lot more connected than I ever thought I would, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I've I've never felt support like I did when I started this podcast and this like Instagram community. You know, it was three years after my after my mum had died, and I literally never could have imagined that there would be so much support online for this. It was just completely unmanageable I didn't even think to look for it and now it yeah there's so so many people Mm -hmm. out there that are willing to talk to you about it and it's absolutely amazing it is amazing and it's needed you know especially since we're so many of us are confronted in our daily lives with lack of opportunity um to be able to embrace that part of our life and share that part of ourselves so um yeah, it's been a really unexpected and welcomed. <laughs> yeah, preach. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Um, well, thank you so much for speaking with me. I've just got um, one, well, two final questions, yeah. if you don't mind answering them. Um, the first one is, how do you think losing your mum at such a young age um and in such a, you know, kind of traumatic way as well, has shaped your life? You know, that's such an interesting question because, I mean, that's interesting for everybody, but especially, again, feeling so intertwined with um, with my grief and not really having much opportunity to have grown up and see who I might have been without it. Um, mm, I always yeah, struggle I a little bit with, um, am I like this in spite of or because of, right? Do I have <laughs> yeah. this big, empathic, and insightful heart because of or in spite of? And I think it's both. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, yeah. I think it gave me, um, I think it gave me a lot of conviction to be able to to grow up and speak my truth, right? I think yeah. not only, I mean, I wasn't even talking really with the exception of maybe a few words here and there when she died. So literally that whole experience is very preverbal, right? Mm. So um, it's always been hard to put it into words and it's always been hard to um, feel like it was important to, to highlight. And yet now as I'm an adult and I recognize all the ways that the baby inside of me missed out, it's really important yeah. to me to protect her and I'm really convicted to speak up for her and other children like us didn't yeah. have an opportunity to really um, feel what they were feeling. And that wasn't, again, not because I was told not to, but just because it's just really big and for kids. And if you don't have a really clear um, model to help you with that, you know, it can be, it can be really hard, all the harder. So, um, I think it gave me a lot of conviction to stick up for for what I know is true. And that is, it doesn't really matter what I, um, what I remember or how much time I have with my mom. It's natural that any of us would um, be heartbroken over missing that opportunity to have that relationship with our parents. So. Yeah, yeah, hugely, like, so true. Um, and my final question is, what would you say to 
somebody else who you know has lived their life in a similar position to you where they lost a parent so young and didn't have a chance to form that relationship just that I understand how hard that is first of all and Mm. I'm really proud of you right you know Mm. and (laughs) I remember when people would say that to me or tell me how strong or resilient I was and I would roll my eyes and yet it's really (laughs) true you are so here Mm. because you have managed to survive the thing that nearly broke you and there are going to continue to be days where you feel stuck or broken or weak or insert whatever you believe about your grief and that's an unfortunate part of the process but I'm so proud that you're giving yourself the time and the space to feel it and to let it have space to breathe because you matter and it matters and you've already proven that you can make it through it so wow that couldn't be more perfect Lindsay thank you so much thank you Catherine yeah this has been amazing I really appreciate you coming on and telling your story and telling you telling everybody about you know how it's impacted your life it's yeah I've I I always got this feeling at the end of it where I feel so kind of like full (laughs) yeah I can relate to that. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And again, um, I know we talked about this, um, I believe, before it started, but I just really appreciate all the work and the effort that you're putting into this platform. Um, mm-hmm. I And to you, you know, you're pro- providing people with a, a way to cope. So Thank you. Thank you. But I just speaking from personal experience, when I really started to shift gears, and like you said, it didn't even occur to me to look online in a lot of ways. <laughs> so... Um, to be able to have this conversation with you and look back on that feeling, that memory of finding your podcast and your account, be like, oh, wow, the people are doing this. This really is, <laughs> um, this really is okay. And there really are other people to connect with. So it's really, mm-hmm. um, it feels full circle to, to be doing it now. So thank you. Oh, amazing. I mean, long may it continue. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Dead Prank Club podcast. I so hope that you've enjoyed it and you found some comfort in the stories that you've heard here today. As always, I would just like to remind you that neither myself nor any of the guests that come onto the show are healthcare professionals. Therefore, if you do find yourself struggling with your grief, I highly recommend that you seek out professional help, whether that be from your GP or from the numerous charities out there that are available to you. Please also remember that you can reach out to us at any time on Instagram at DPC Podcast, on Facebook at The Dead Parent Club, and you can email us at dpcpodcast at hotmail.com. Alternatively, you can check out our website where a resources page is also available at www.dpcpodcast.co.uk. Also, please don't hesitate to contact me if you want to get involved in the podcast in any way, whether that be coming onto the show or to write a blog for us as well. If coming onto a podcast isn't your thing. Thank you so much once again for listening. And we'll see you next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.